11 verses uh, today. We may go through a little bit more later on, but what I want to do is I want to camp out here in, in the first 11 verses. So let's, we're going to read through it, and then we'll go back um, and kind of walk through a couple of the verses. He says this, he says, Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It, only, uh, it leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. So this, this chapter in itself, it, it's, quite a, it's quite a long chapter. It has 40 verses in it. It's, it's an interesting uh, section, the way that it's, it's mapped out. We went through a, a series called the Rhythms for Life when we talked about the book of Psalms. I didn't get into too much of the, of the structures and the types of psalms that you'll see as far as the literary um, the literary styles that you'll see in there, but this is called an acrostic psalm. Really cool. The way that this works is that the very, like each stanza has many different stanzas. So like verses one through two is one, verses three through four is another, five through six is another, verses seven is its own. And so they, they're kind of broken up in these little sections of they say this, and then he says that, he says this, and he says that. And so an acrostic, the way that this works is the very first letter of each of these stanzas is a letter in the Hebraic alphabet. And so this is a way that you can remember. It's, a, it's, it's almost like a memorization tactic or a memorization aspect of the way that you can actually present something poetically. And so they use, just like if you wanted to go through our alphabet, you know, um, apples are my favorite thing to eat because it's great. Bees love to go and they fly around and do honey stuff. Churches are a great place that you can go and dwell in, right? and you continue to go on and on and on. You have a letter that starts each one of the stanzas and continues on. So this is, this is how that this psalm is moved through and progresses. Hmm? No, no, no. <laughs> That's all that you get. I'm just keeping you on the edge of your seat. D is for donkeys, and they are hor- No, they are stinky and stinky and stinky. Um, <laughs> e is for elephant. I saw those the other day. Um, anyway, so Sean made me do it. I apologize. Bad influence. So, so this, this is an acrostic psalm, and, uh, and so when you read through it, it, it kind of builds in that way to help you remember the things. That's why when you see there are some repetitions in this psalm, if you noticed it, he's, don't fret. He says that in the first verse, and then he says again in verse 8, do not fret. He says, trust in him, and then he goes again. You need to trust in the Lord. A little while, do this, and you will inherit the land. It, he will continue to, to reiterate some of these same things by using this style and this method of, uh, of literature. But what I want to go through in this is, is the aspect, and uh, let me read real quick. This is, this is good. Um, and one of, the comment, one of my favorite commentaries, the New International uh, Commentary of the Old Testament, there is a, there's the, the section over the book of Psalms, um, the writer says this about verses 1 through 11. It says, The psalm opens offering comfort and encouragement. The NRSV and the NIV's do not fret phrase is a little weak for this translator. He says that the command is actually to not let your anger burn over the wicked who are transient. So don't let your anger burn over the wicked who continue to go from one place to another. Verses 3 through 6 speak of how to live an alternate life, placing trust in God and believing in God's promises. It's a life that's lived in trust of God instead of anger about the wicked. Verses 7 through 8 
returned to the theme of anger, again stressing that it would lead down the wrong path. Waiting upon the Lord is a better choice than letting your anger burn against the wicked and their schemes. Dr. Craigie notes that because such an anger is futile, bringing only grief, and because the evil will eventually be cut off, verses 9 and 11 tell that it is the faithful ones who will inherit the land, while verse 10 stresses that the wicked will simply not exist. Using this Hebraic phrase of non-existence, the wicked are simply out of existence and gone. It's the oppressed that will actually inherit the land and have the shalom. Remember, we talked about the shalom, the peace of God, a few weeks ago. And they will have shalom in great abundance. As with all the wisdom or instructional poetry, being wicked seems like the stupidest choice one can make. (laughs) You may choose to trust in God and inherit the land or forsake God, trust yourself, and disappear. And so as we look through this, do not fret of those who are evil. Do not let your anger burn over these wicked people or be envious of those who do wrong. It's, it's, it's easy to see the things that are happening right now, into, especially in today's society. There are so many things you could turn on with whatever news outlet that you, uh, that you ascribe to or subscribe to. It doesn't matter which one it is. They're all disseminating information that causes fear much of the time. There's some type of horrifying, horrible thing that's happening. The wicked people are doing everything that they want to, and there seems to be no, uh, no pumping of the brakes for any of their mentality. You get rid of one terrorist, and then all of a sudden another one pops up sooner or later, and it's like, when does the wickedness end? They just seem to, to gather and scatter and to get what they want and then kick other people out. And then another nation is under tyranny. Another nation is, is being terrorized. There's another nation that's, that's completely out of sorts. Another one that's being ruled over harsh dictators. And, and then, then you're dealing with your own opinions about what's going on in our country. And you're like, where is it that the righteous will inherit the land? Where? There seems to be no reprieve. Maybe it's even in your own life to where you're like, it seems like it's not just my car that broke down. It's my house that has been broken into or maybe my AC, my heating is going out. And this is the worst time for that to happen because it's getting ready to be cold and I need to have my heat. Maybe it's that, man, there's relationships that are being broken and and I can't seem to deal with the with the, the harsh reality of what's happening between me and people who I used to be very close with. Maybe you have other family members who are estranged and you just can't seem to get on the same page with them and you wish that they would just understand what the Bible says and that they would actually come to know Jesus but they keep doing stupid stuff and walking against. Or maybe it's in your own heart. You're like, man, I cannot get over this same habit that continuously plagues my mind and I continuously go in a cyclical process of what it seems to be sin after sin after sin after sin after sin after sin and can't get a grip on it. Is there ever deliverance for me as well, too? We talk about it, but I have not experienced it. Maybe I should just lean into it and let it just be the thing that drives me since it can't go away. Maybe I should join the the anger, and then you can you could either get to a point to where you want to join up with those who are wicked because you're envious of what they're able to have, or you're just hacked off all the time. You are just the grumpiest potato when it comes to everything that happens in your life. Every time that someone's name gets brought up that you can't that you can't seem to agree with, it's just anger that starts to to ooze from your lips. Anytime that scenario is brought up around, it seems that gossip just seeps out of you. (coughs) Do not fret because of those who are evil. Don't let your anger burn against those who are evil or, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. So what do we do if we're not placing our anger and letting our anger burn against these individuals? Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. 
Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Because it's not as you're going through the valley of the shadow of death that you're supposed to have your sword out. Just tense and flexed as you're walking through, waiting for just one of these robbers, these nasty robbers, murderers, these thieves. Come on out here. I'm going to just slit your throat right once you come over here. I'm just going to punch you in your nose and make give you a black eye and make you fall to the ground and get the things that you've been giving everybody else. Because you, yours is coming finally. It's, it's going to happen right here, right now. We're going to make it, make it do. I'm going to be the one that takes care of these people. Or maybe you feel like you have a, a band of brothers, a band of buddies that you get to roll around with. Now we're all going to go into the valley of the shadow of death and we're going to show all these dudes what it really means to, to receive their righteous due. Psalm 23 doesn't say that. It doesn't say that that's what we're supposed to go through and, and take care of. It doesn't say that. It even doesn't say that God is going to rain down fire into that, into that valley, burning up all those who are right there at this point in time. Instead, these scriptures say, trust in the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. The green pastures are the things that actually gives you the sustenance and the nutrients that you need so that you're not frail and that you're not, you're not feeling like you're being taken away because your reliance is not on yourself. My reliance cannot be on myself to take care of things. If that's the case, I will run myself ragged trying to meet the expectations of other people consistently thinking that that's what's going to fill my cup. It could be easy to get busy. It could be easy to, to be lazy, to go on either one of those two sides and not accomplish anything in reality because your heart is in the wrong place. My heart could be in the wrong place by doing good things. Da Dad's quoted, I think it's Miles Monroe, right? A good thing's not al always the right thing, but the right thing is always a good thing. That's super true. A good thing is not always the right thing to do. It could be good. But it doesn't mean that it's right. But the right thing that the Lord sets you to is always the good thing. It's always the thing that we need to be doing. And so here, when we, when we look at this, it's, I cannot have the perspective that I'm going to go in and I'm going to be the superhero, the hero of the story. My responsibility is to first and foremost submit myself to the shepherd because I lack nothing in him. And so if I trust him, verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If we take delight in the Lord, then he will place the desires in our heart that lead us to the place that gives his name glory. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so if we feel like there are, there are people who are experiencing horrible things or you have compassion or you, you're your heart breaks for those who are suffering and who are doing, or who are being wronged, or maybe you, you start to find yourself angry against those who are, who are doing wicked deeds. It's not that we shouldn't stand for what's true or what's right or what's good. However, we need to submit ourselves first to God to see if what, he, what is on our heart is actually what he desires. Yeah. It could be easy for us to, to want good things for people, but it's actually not the direction that the Lord is wanting to take for those people to come to the salvation to know who Christ is. So we have to listen to his voice. That's why John 10, I, I spoke about John 10 a couple weeks ago. It's, he says, that my sheep know my voice and they follow me. When they hear the voice of a stranger, they run. So if we listen to his voice, we'll know what direction he wants us to go in. And it will lead us in paths of righteousness. And it'll be to give him glory because it's for his namesake, not for my own namesake. And so if I dwell in anger, then I will only have the reaped benefits of anger. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. And so if all I am is angry, then all I will reap is anger because my trust is in my anger and what I can do with that anger. And sooner or later, if you dwell on anger long enough, it will turn into rage. And that rage will bring destruction. And then now you are a wicked individual who you were first mad at, now you turned into that. And so I can't allow anger to seep inside of me because maybe it's not physical destruction 
that I could bring. But it could be mental destruction that I bring either myself or myself and other people who are around me. So it's not just me that's affected. It's my wife who would be affected if I stay in anger and, and then become rageful. And then it's my daughter who is affected as well. And then it's my family members because then if I'm specifically in rage all the time, then guess what? Everybody who I'm around, they will get a glimpse, at least a glimpse, if not a full-fledged backhand of my rage. But the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Leads me beside still water so that I can be restored. And then from restoration, I'll be led in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I love that it says take delight in the Lord, and then it says he will give you the desires of your heart. Not he will give you the desires of your heart, and then you can delight in the Lord because he's your genie in a bottle. It's easy to treat him that way. Using his name like it's a... The, the tail end of a magic potion or something like that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now he's going to do it. That has the weightiness of a feather. Because the in Jesus' name is actually in intimacy with Jesus. Knowing who he is and what his desires are. Taking delight in him means that you delight in the things that he delights in. And so then when you become that intertwined, John 17, you don't know where he, he ends and you begin. Because there's such unity between the two of you. It doesn't mean that you are a God, but it means that you understand his heart to the point to where now you can communicate his heart to other people. And they can see his heart lived out in your life as well. And so what he desires for, you desire for. What he delights in, you delight in as well. And then he'll give you those desires of your heart because you guys are so connected. We're so connected that it doesn't matter what anybody else can say. You know that you delight yourself in him. And then you can obey him easily because you're not, we're not worried about, about pleasing other people. This is big for me. This is big for me. It's easy for me to want to, to make sure people are pleased with the things that I'm doing, but is it the correct thing that I need to be doing? That's a big thing. Then he says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Commit your way to the Lord. So he says in verse 1, the first, the first stanza, do not fret. Do not let your anger burn against the wicked. Verse 3 is trust in the Lord and do good. And when you trust in the Lord, that means, verse 5, you commit your way to the Lord. When you commit him, commit to him, he says again, trust in him and he will do this. Commit your way to him and, then, and trust him. So in your commitment, you're trusting. Don't withhold yourself from trusting, but full-fledged. Trust him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward. Shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. This is one of the hardest verses in this whole entire section. <laughs> be still and wait. Be still in the Lord and wait patiently for him. It is very, very hard, especially in my mind where, where technology is so easily and readily available to where you can accomplish a whole lot of things in a very short amount of time. I mean, if anybody's played around with AI, it is phenomenal what that stuff can do. I mean, it is amazing. We use it often in various capacities, and it has cut a whole lot of things down of tedious work that that it can accomplish. I mean, you go through in any kind of website design, you're probably talking to AI first from some specifics that, um, that those people who own the website wants to make sure that you can get that information just on regular conversation and then you can connect to somebody else who's a real person. It's incredible what it could do. It could even create its own images and pictures just from a prompt that you can give. It's wild, wild what AI can do. And in the amount of time, the speedy, goodness gracious alive, 
It's awesome. It's awesome. But we a lot of times treat our growth, I can treat my growth in the Lord just like an easy bake oven. You want something to happen quick, but the quality that ends up happening when you desire for something to happen that quickly is that it's easy bake oven quality. <laughs> that, that's, that's what you get, right? That's what it is. But there's a, a process that we have to go through of patience that if I'm impatient, then that means I'm going to miss out on what it is that the Lord actually wants to do. There could be a, a, a specific type of growth that we miss, that I could miss, if I try to expedite my process a lot further. Just because I have the, the capacity to type a few things or to you know, make steps or even have a title of something. You have to, you have to be able to listen to his voice and respond to the way that he speaks to you specifically about your situation in your context. Christianity is not a copy and paste method of your life can look exactly like another person's life. It's not going to happen that way. Because you are your own specific individual designed and created by God as the only you that will ever be and has ever been. So if that's the case, you can learn and glean from others, but you cannot copy and paste someone else's life onto your own. You can share experiences, and that's great, but that does not mean that your life is exactly their life. I used to think that way a lot of times in, in different eras. I would, I would want to see what maybe the next progression would be for me in my life, and I would look at people who I admired and saw this is what they did, this is what experienced, so this is probably what I need to do and what I need to experience as well. And then that will get me to the next place that I feel like I, like I probably need to go, that the Lord wants to happen. And guess what happened a lot of times? I became very disappointed in the outcomes of those experiences. Maybe you would go to, to a specific place and you'd be like, all right, it's going to be this conference that's going to do it for me. Maybe you, you anticipate a speaker that comes in. You're like, yeah, once the speaker comes, bam, this is going to break through. That's going to be it. It could be a multiplicity of things. May, maybe once I, I get married, this is going to happen. Then you get married and you go, my life hadn't changed except for now I share a bank account with somebody. <laughs> maybe it's okay, once, once I have a kid, or once the kids get out of the house, once I retire, once I've changed this job, once I do this or once I do that, you start waiting and waiting for other things instead of actually waiting on the Lord and asking him what he's requiring you to do in that moment. We start, we start searching and seeking after the next thing that could give you a sense of change. But things will not provide the salvation that God provides to you in intimacy with him. We can pray a prayer all day long. And I will continue to repeat this. It is not the prayer that saves a person. It is the belief in Christ. It's the understanding that, that, it is, it is that I cannot provide salvation for myself. We confess with our mouth, that's great, but sometimes we stop there. It's confess with your mouth and believe. Believe. And belief comes with commitment, and it comes with trust. And in that trust and in that commitment, you will experience transformation because it will conflict with the previous life of sin. And so when you believe something to be true, you will wade through the waters of uncertainty and wade through the waters of difficulty and conflict because you believe that this is better than what you previously had. I have to remind myself of that lots of times, to where it's, it's not just the fact that I grew up in a pastor's home. I have knowledge, that's great. It's not just that I went to seminary, that's awesome. I learned stuff. It's not that I can stand on a stage and lead worship. That's fun, it's amazing, I love it. It's that I commit myself and believe that I serve the Savior. And that in him I receive transformation. Not in my deeds that I do, earning a check mark or a gold star for what I'm able to accomplish. 
And so be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. This is why I talked about the, the process of prayer a lot of times and why I bring up Tyler Staten's comments of listening prayer. It's not just that I need to complain to the Lord about all the things that I feel like are going on in my life. It's that I listen to his voice. I'm, I'm, I'm purposeful in, in sitting and listening. What is it that he's saying to me? Is my mouth too full in the times that I spend with him? Are my ears open, ready and available to listen to him? Because if I listen to him, then I treat him as my good shepherd. Then he, then he can lead me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. He says it again. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. If you let your anger burn against the wicked, and that's all you have is anger burning against those who do things that are that are not as, as wonderful as you would hope that they would do. Maybe you're also angsty about what's going on in your current context, so you just take out all of your anger on talking about all kinds of people who are very far and distant away from you because that's the information that you choose to attach yourself to because you actually can't do anything about that, and so you can stay angry. But when it comes to dealing with what's here, what's personal, what's in my heart, when it comes to dealing with those things, it means that I have to sit in the discomfort of actually doing something about it. And so when we allow anger, if I allow anger to sit and fester, then that will cause destruction and division easily to where then it becomes not just a little circle inside of you, but it starts to perpetuate and to leak out, and then it's hitting every area of your life, and then now everybody's affected by the rage because you can't see anything except for red. So I, I can't allow that to be the thing that, that grips my heart. I need to refrain from anger. That's what Jesus says, be angry, but don't sin. You can have a righteous anger, but that righteous anger should lead you to love and compassion for someone to change and transform. Jesus flipped the money changing tables. He was not happy with the, the representation of what happened in the temple. But it was for the sense of leading people to the true purpose in, of the intimacy with God. It was not just throwing money changing tables and then going off and punching people in the face and being like, you guys all got to go. This is, this is crazy. And then that was it. He, didn't get, he gave reason for the purpose in removing that which was false, eradicating these things. His desire was for them to love and to know their God. Not to cheapen it, but to pull it down. He didn't, he didn't go into a Gentile temple and do that. I don't ever recall him going into an idolatrous temple and flipping tables. Where did he do that? The Jewish temple. He did it in a place where people who should know who God is, should know his word, should know what's going on. So he did it in a corrective manner, not to destroy others or to bring others down. To pull conviction. To pull conviction. Turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Does that sound familiar? Inherit the land? Matthew chapter 5. Jesus repeats the words from, from this chapter here. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will, be they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And enjoy peace and prosperity. Again, meek, meekness is not timidity. It is not insecurity. Meekness is, is very specific and particular about when and where to open one's mouth. That meekness comes with patience. 
when and where do you open your mouth? When do you actually communicate the wisdom of the Lord? There are times when we're supposed to open our mouths and times when we need to be quiet, even in the midst of wickedness, even in the midst of people being being ridiculous. There are times where they, they're not going to hear your words. Their mind has been made up currently. There has to be something that changes their mind and opens their ears to where they're willing to listen to what you have to say. There have been many times that's been, that's been the case in my own life. I mean, you can see that within marriage at times. Sometimes someone has their mind made up. I could have my mind made up about something specifically, and it, and it's, it would be wise for Danielle not to even worry about engaging in that to the point of, of super contention. There could be, com- there could be conflict and, and conversation, but if there's not a, an opportunity or ability for both sides to want to listen and reason through, then there needs to be a point of, okay, we got to hit the pause button because this person's just not going to listen. They're not, they're not ready to hear this. And so you wait until the Holy Spirit illuminates that time and says, okay, now, now let's talk about it. Now let's go through it. Because you love and you care for someone, you will then be able to listen to what the words that they have to say and then respond to it in the way that needs to happen. But that comes through patience and not through anger, simmering and festering. Because it could be in, in our patience that we could develop anger. And then from anger, we could develop rage. But that means that we're not trusting the Lord's process in our patience. That means we're just angry in the whole process that we have to wait. Because I'm not really trusting the Lord. I'm just angry that I feel like I'm being withheld from what I can accomplish. Like my idea is better than the Lord's idea. But if he's my shepherd, that means that he's the one that leads me, not me leading him. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The meek will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And they will enjoy peace and prosperity. When David took over as king, there was a a period of time for about 33 years, I believe it was, if I have my math right, 33 years, where they had 24-7 worship happening in one of the tents. So they had the main tabernacle, and then they had a place of worship where David employed musicians and people like that. And he also employed individuals to go out into the nation and teach them to be faithful and to give praise to God, to change their mentality, their, their thought process. If you remember the Israelites from the Old Testament days, especially the book of Exodus, they were quite the complainers. Quite known for their bickering and their dissatisfaction with the way that the Lord was, was leading them. Constantly turning back and forth between all kinds of different things. Complaining about this, wishing they were back in Egypt, then wishing that they had better food. They were glad they were out of Egypt, but didn't want man anymore. Then they were aggravated that they had to go to Canaan and that there were a bunch of giants and they didn't want to go in the land anymore because these guys were big and they were scared of them even though God told them to go and take the land. So they came from generations and generations and generations of whiners and complainers and bickers and all kinds of different people who were just completely dissatisfied. And so David sent people out to teach the nation how to give thanks and how to praise the Lord. And it was in that 33 years that not one enemy could reach the gates and infiltrate their land. Their perspective changed from anger, dissatisfaction from complaining, to praise and thankfulness. The psalmist writes, enter his gates with thanksgiving your heart, enter his courts with praise. It is very hard to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit It's very hard to have a great relationship with the Lord if your position is hatefulness and rage, complaining and bickering, because all you hear and all you see are the things that are not happening. But when we have a mentality of thankfulness and you can see all the things that God has done, this is why it's also a great practice to journal. Some of you guys may not enjoy journaling as, as much, but uh, and that doesn't mean that you have to do it daily. It's encouraged to do it daily. It's a great practice. But even in, in, the, in the major things that happen in your life, 
you have something that's very definitive that's occurred in your, in your life, to write it down. Write those things down. And then, as you get in that period of dissatisfaction or, or, or anger, or you find yourself to where you're just in a, in a rut, go back to that journal and open up and read about the testimonies of what Jesus has done in your life. Then you start to remember, oh my gosh, I forgot about that story. I forgot how bad that was. It's been a while since I've, I've been in the middle of that, and I forgot just how like, horrible of a season that was for me. And what God did at the end of that is incredible that I'm actually still here. Maybe this relationship was restored, and I forgot that we had this little tiff with one another. Or maybe we were praying for something to happen or someone to, 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 to come to know Jesus. Or maybe we were praying for someone to get healed of something. And, and man, I forgot that they encountered that. I forgot that this happened in their life. I forgot I was dealing with this, and now I've, it's been so long that I haven't dealt with it that it just seems like it's another lifetime ago. Man, God, thank you so much for putting me in the position that I'm in now. And then you start to have this understanding of who God is and what he's capable of doing. In the midst of your current situation, which may seem bleak or may seem like it's lesser than, may seem like it's not the greatest, but you remember what he's done before and say, I know that you've done this before, and I know that you can do this again. I know you brought me through this before, so I know that you will bring me through this again. I don't know how it's going to look. I would like it to look this way, but I don't know how it's specifically going to look. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to trust you because I know that you are the one who makes the way. I know you're the one that I can trust and I can put my hope in. And so even if it doesn't end up the way that I would have rather seen it, I'm going to trust that however it ends up, is going to be a way that I can give you glory in it. So I choose right now to give you glory for what will come. I choose right now to give you glory for what has happened. And I choose right now to give you glory even in the midst of this gloomy topic, of this gloomy place, because I trust that you're still with me in the middle of both of those testimonies. So I trust you. I choose not anger, but I choose trust. I choose hope. I choose joy. Consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. When endurance is complete, you find that you lack nothing. My brothers and sisters, I, I urge you, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable and pleasing unto God. That's your spiritual act of worship. And don't conform to the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So that you can sense and see what his, what his will is, which is perfect. It is in the transformation of my mind that my actions will follow. I don't do things without first thinking them. Whether if it was a split second, my mind told my body to do something. My mind told my mouth to react that way. Those habits are first formed in the mind and then walked out in your body. Your body does not control your mind. Your mind controls the process of what your body goes through. And so if our minds are transformed, then so will our bodies be transformed. If my mind is transformed, then everything that happens around me will also start to transform because I don't think the way that I did before in harboring and holding anger and bitterness. I can actually live in freedom and thankfulness and in worship. I don't know about you guys, but I would much rather choose freedom than bondage to something like anger or rage. I choose to trust instead of choosing to feel like I'm the only person that could ever accomplish something. Like I'm powerful enough to know all the things that God has ever known and know the directions of what could even happen or how it could even happen. I'm not nearly that smart. Not nearly that powerful. My life at some point will, will wither away. This body will be gone. However, eternity with him sounds much better than eternity without him. And that eternity starts as soon as you say, I commit myself to you. And in that commitment and in that trust, now I can start to deal with some of these things that perpetuate and pull me and conform me into this weird image. Now I can say, God, I give you all of me. 
And so that means that I'm going to remove these barriers of my mind and say that I trust your process, even though it's different, even though it may feel different, even though I may be uncomfortable in it. I have to go through this process because my desire is for you and to glorify you. But that means we have to submit ourselves to the good shepherd. First and foremost, submission to him. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. It is not resist the devil and he will flee. And then you submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to God and then resist the devil. In your submission, you realize that I submit myself to the good shepherd, which means I lack nothing, which means I'm not striving to, to, to win the hearts of other people for my own sake. I'm not looking at other people's opportunity to provide any kind of uh, good feeling for me so that I can feel like I'm better than I really am. It's I understand that in him, I lack nothing. And if that's the case, then I need my brain, I need my mind, I need my heart, my desires to align with that, that, uh, that, that missing lack. That lack of lack. <laughs> that's what I wanted to say, but it didn't really work. It is in him that I can find my strength. And what he does is he doesn't send me on a wild goose chase. He makes me to lie down in green pastures besides still waters so that I can be restored. The first process as a believer is to walk through restoration and to continue in that restoration as we put hope and trust in Jesus so that when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, Sometimes you may take a couple trips through there. It's not just one trip. You may go back and forth. You may be a transient shadow of deather, <laughs> just going all throughout there. But it means that you don't fear the evil that's there because he's with you. You could encounter all kinds of different things, but it means that his goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. His rod and staff comforts you and prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemy because when he gives you, you can also give to others. As he anoints your head with oil, your cup will overflow. Anoint your head, your mind. This has to be transformed first so that you can give of the overflow of the cup. If this is not transformed, then guess what? There will be nothing to, to give other people because there will be no overflow. Your cup will be dry because you're letting it run off and go away. Allowing him to transform your mind so that then you can be able to give because you've been given. It's a powerful, powerful reality that we need to be able to live in. So I'm going to encourage us this morning. Don't be wrought with anger. Don't be, don't be worried so much about what the evil is that's going on today that we miss the boat completely with intimacy with God because we're just running around full of anxiety and full of depression because of all the things that we see. I would say that our trust is misguided if we allow that to happen. Because that means that I'm only trusting in what I can see. That means that there's no faith. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen, not seen. So my faith has to be in the one who does see. The one who has the ability to know and then make happen his ways. I can't be the one that decides the ways. I have to be willing to listen and then respond to him. So I just want to take a few moments right now and let's just ask the Holy Spirit to, to speak to us in, in, in our response to, to stillness. I think this is a great practice. We've done this a couple times already, but we're just going to sit in silence for a moment. And I want you to just listen to the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit. Let's do this together. Say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit speak, to me. speak to me. I'm listening.
Lord, let Sunday mornings not be the only times that we practice silence and listening. Let us be intentional about the way that we hear your voice and respond to it. Let us be aware of the inconsistencies that we have in our own thought processes. Lord, we want to be aware of your presence and not just your presence, but your voice. It's not enough for me just to show up at the house, show up at your house where you're hosting a great gathering and party, but not actually spend time with you there. It's not enough for me to just show up at church and feel your presence, but not actually have a relationship with you. It's not enough for me to just read a a daily scripture and then call it good, but not actually listen to your voice or how the how your word can transform me. It's not enough to try to carve out just a few moments quickly so that I can check that off my box of daily activities. Lord, we I want to actually be transformed by your word. I want to be transformed by intimacy with you and relationship with you. I want to actually have conversation with you. So, Father, forgive us for the times that we have been Pharisees in the way that we have done church and hung around and done different things in our lives, Lord, that we not had the intimacy that we've needed. And Father, thank you for the moments that we have done that well. Thank you for the moments that you've made yourself a reality to us. Thank you for the times that we have heard your voice and walked in obedience and seen the fruit of following your voice. And so Father, recall those times to our hearts and to our minds so that we can remember the benefit of following you. That it's not so we can gain things or to get items and live with great wealth or anything like that. This is not a prosperity gospel in the sense of I can just get things because I say your name. But Lord, let us be able to live in the freedom and the fruit of a, of a life gloriously lived for you, seeing people come to know you through our voices as well. Seeing people snatched up from the gates of hell and the condemnation that they live in and set free from the things that bound them and bind them. Lord, that our neighbors, our friends, our families, those in the community will see Jesus and they will know you. Because you work greatly in our, in our lives and because we respond. But just like Paul said, I desire that, that my good works, in my good works, people would glorify your name. So I renounce fear, I renounce rage, I renounce anger. And I pray, Lord, that your presence and your peace just falls in this place on each individual. And that we'll be able to leave this place full of expectation and desire for greater intimacy, for hearing your voice, and for responding to it as well. Thank you for your grace and for your patience with us in these times. Lord, I know it would be hard for me to be patient with myself, let alone being patient with every single individual that has ever been created. So thank you that you're a patient God and that you're loving and you're merciful and you're gracious, you're righteous, you're true, that you're loving and you're kind. We love you and we praise your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You guys have a wonderful Sunday morning. Uh, go eat with somebody, go hang out. And then we'll, oh, ministry classes tonight. Yes, make sure that you guys show up for those, for those of you who are uh, part of those classes. And then we will see you guys on Wednesday night.